Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Learning to Sit Still podcast. We have been enjoying a few cooler days due to some rain that has decided to move in. And let me say, it is a welcome change. I know that these days are going to be few and far between as we move into the real summer in the South. Now, here is a little tidbit of information, because remember, I love a little bit of trivia and random information. It is the customary definition that an antique requires that an item be at least 100 years old and in original condition. That is when something is considered to be an antique. But my mom and I were out antique browsing and maybe a little shopping last Saturday, and I found a box with patterns in it. They were clearly labeled in black ink on a bright orange piece of cardstock that they were from the 1980s. I stood there and I read it again, then thought, wait a minute, I'm from the 80s and I am nowhere near 100. I have a few decades till that happens. I love going to old shops, but sometimes I'm surprised by what is considered an antique these days. I can't tell you how many VHS tapes I see in those stores and I grew up with those, and those were the good old days when you could take a VHS apart, fix the messed up part of the film, or in worst case scenario, you could cut it apart and tape it back together. Then you could put it all back together, good as new. Yes, I've actually done that a few times. You don't get that experience with DVDs, and especially not with digital copies. But enough reminiscing. Today, I would like to unpack the story of two Egyptian women. Both would live at the same time, though there was more than likely a good age difference between them, and both would meet a man named Joseph. Joseph is by far my favorite male character. His triumph over his trials is an inspiration to anyone. He was sold into slavery by his own brothers. Even though he cried out to them, they turned their back on him. There are many who have felt the sting of rejection and betrayal, but it is worse when it is done by those you thought loved you and would do anything to protect you. When that happens, it is understandable to be angry, but the danger is in staying that way. You see, when we stay angry, we till the soil where seeds of bitterness are planted. We water those seeds and we dwell on the bitterness and let it take root in our heart. In the end, it will only yield a harvest of hate. But unlike a normal harvest that brings life through the nourishments of its product, hate, when left unchecked, brings death. And I don't mean physically, although that can happen as well. What I am talking about is a death of the soul. Someone once described hate as a dark emotion, one that has the ability to wipe out all others, to render a person unable to see anything else. And I completely agree with that statement. I have seen what hate can do. When we let this strong negative emotion take over, it has the power to cripple us completely and make us useless for anything or anyone. Joseph understood this, and that is one of the reasons I love his story so much. He dealt with the hurt before he ever reached Egypt. He had let go of what they did to him. Now, you might ask how I can be so confident in making such a statement, but let me read Genesis 39 verses 1 and 2. And Joseph was brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him of the hands of the Ishmaelites, which had brought him down thither. 
And the Lord was with Joseph, and he was a prosperous man, and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. Did you catch it? The Lord was with Joseph. He blessed him, and God does not honor or bless those who are bitter and full of hate. This teenage boy had learned to deal with his response to others and chose to let go and let God handle it in his timing, a lesson that would serve him well farther along in his story. Joseph has been bought by Potiphar, who seemed to be a good, honest man. He was also an observant man. He noticed that God blessed Joseph and quickly gave him a promotion overseer over the entire household. Even though Joseph is still a slave, we would all have to agree that life was going fairly well. After all, he was the man in charge of the house, in charge of everything that went on except Potiphar's wife. From the very beginning, her character is revealed. She is a woman who has no morals and is discontent. Her husband was a high-ranking individual in Egypt. After all, he was an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard. That is a pretty trustworthy job. As his wife, I am sure she enjoyed many privileges, yet this was not enough for her. She was never satisfied, always looking for something new, something exciting, and she found it, she thought, in Joseph but he was the one person who wanted nothing to do with her. The world is so good at showing us what we are missing in life, or at least according to them. Commercials are built to show you how terrible your life is and how much better it would be if you only had this item. Let me ask you, how often have you heard this term used? You will never need another one. This is all you will ever need. Have you heard that before? Me too. But for as many times as they tell you that, they always seem to come up with something new, something else that you will never need again. Discontentment is running rampant in our society. It is everywhere you go. But when we focus our attention on the word of God, we find something very different. I love the words of Agur in Proverbs 30. It's probably one of my favorite chapters. He called himself a man who was not so smart, yet he offered some of the most profound advice ever. He says, Two things have I required of thee. Deny me them not before I die. Remove far from me vanity and lies. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with food convenient for me. Those are verses 7 and 8. This is so rich and so not the American dream. As Americans, we are raised with the belief that we have to have the best job, the best house, the best car, and go on vacation three times a year to be considered successful. Yet, this is not what Agur said at all. He simply asked God to give him enough. This is a hard concept for us to grasp because our culture is not built on that. But this is what God wants for us to be content with what we have. Yet how often do we spend our time wishing for more? How much time have we wasted wishing we had something more? Sometimes we even go so far as to link our happiness with possessions. If only I had this, I would be satisfied. If I could have this job, I would be happy. But we will never have enough to make us happy because it doesn't work that way. Proverbs 27 verse 20 tells us hell and destruction are never full, so the eyes of men are never satisfied. Our lust for more will never be quenched. We will never have enough until we learn to be content with what we have. As Paul tells us in Philippians 4.11, not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. This is the secret to having enough. It is a choice. We need to choose to say we have enough. 
to be content with what we have been given. When we do this, we will be content. Sadly, Potiphar's wife didn't know this secret, so she spent her time looking for more things that would satisfy her endless desire or someone who she thought could satisfy her need. I love how Joseph handles the situation, though. He was unwilling to have an affair with her, not just because it was morally wrong, but because it was a sin against his God. This young man, so young, he was 17 at the time he came to Egypt, so maybe he was 18, 19, or 20, probably more like 18 or 19. This young man had established early in his life the reason he could not sin. It was an offense against his God because his God was prevalent in his mind. And he was prevalent because Joseph had made him so. When you choose to obey and honor God's commandments before the temptation arrives, it is easier to do right when it comes. Sin is never overcome by accident. It is done deliberately. And our ability to say no will come when we spend time in God's word. That is the only way to defeat sin. In desperation, Potiphar's wife made a grab for Joseph's clothing, but he was committed to his principles so much so that he just wiggled himself free and ran from her. Now, I heard a preacher say something very interesting. He said that this kind of sin, adultery, fornication, is the only one we are told to flee. In 2 Timothy 2, verse 22, it says, Flee also youthful lusts, but follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace, with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. We are told to flee, but the other sins we are told to withstand, to fight the temptation, but not here. Joseph gives us a perfect example of what to do. This makes me admire him all the more. So young, but so grounded in his faith and character. May we all follow his example. May we seek the Lord in our youth and establish good, healthy habits that are grounded in the word of God. When Joseph refused to yield to her relentless pursuit, she made her move to get back. She was not to be trifled with. She thought she had the upper hand because she told a lie, one that would send this young man of character to prison for several years. Potiphar's wife was a woman who lived a life spent on serving herself, on satisfying her endless lust. But she would soon see the benefits of saying no to sin and yes to God. It is very likely that she witnessed that lowly slave who dared refuse her offer of pleasure become the second most powerful man in Egypt. She saw the blessings of choosing to obey God. Seest thou a man diligent in his business? He shall stand before kings. He shall not stand before mean men. That's Proverbs 22 verse 29. Every time I read that verse, I think of Joseph, a man who was diligent in whatever he was given to do, a man who was content where he was, and he trusted in God's plan and timing. Now, I want to shift our focus to another Egyptian woman, one who reaped the benefit of that slave who said no. In fact, she was there to witness his rise to power and would probably know him better than almost anyone else. Her name was Azanath the daughter of Potiphera, priest of On. There is not much known about her, but we are given her name, and I love her name, Asnath. It just sounds so lovely. 
and she did have a religious background. When I did a little digging, I found this interesting information regarding the city of On and Asenath's family connection. Quote, the city of On, also known as Helipolis, the city of the sun, it was the center of worship of the sun god Ra and was located 10 miles northeast of modern Cairo. The high priest in On held the title of greatest of seers. When Joseph married into this family, he joined a social class befitting a national leader. Also implied in the marriage arrangement was Pharaoh's confidence that Joseph too was a seer or prophet of the highest caliber. Unquote. This intrigued me. Pharaoh understood that this was no ordinary man, but one that had a special connection to God. Unfortunately, he didn't f understand fully that this was the one true God. Now, I have heard people say how sorry they felt for Joseph or even completely disapprove of his decision to marry a pagan woman, but I have a very different thought process. Now, of course, Joseph may not have had the opportunity to say no. I mean, obviously, when Pharaoh says, hey, this is your wife, it, more than likely this is going to be your wife. But on the other side, from start to finish, God was in control of Joseph's story. He orchestrated every detail down to his brothers throwing him in the pit to Potiphar tossing him into jail. If God cared about every little area of Joseph's life, don't you think he would give him a good wife? She was not a stumbling block to him as Judah's wife had been, as we talked about last week. In fact, when both of Joseph's sons were born, they were given Hebrew names, not Egyptian ones. The God who spoke and wooed the heart of Rahab, a woman who gave up all she had ever known and fully embraced the one true God, following him completely. Don't you think he would do the same with Asenath? Think about what it was like for her. Pharaoh was tormented by disturbing dreams. And when his own wise men could not give him a clear interpretation, he hears about a young Hebrew prisoner who had a gift. He is quickly summoned before the king, and who knows, but Asenath could have been in the court to witness the whole thing. She saw this foreigner give not only an accurate interpretation of the dreams without hesitation, without needing a moment to gather himself, but she also hears him give a solution that will save her people and elevate their nation above all others. Then she finds out that she's going to marry him, this man who worships another god, but she also discovers the power this god has, a power her gods don't have. There is no doubt in my mind that she got the whole story down to the little incident that put her husband in prison. Can you imagine how powerful that story alone was? Here was a man who went to prison because he refused to have an affair with his master's wife, not just because he was afraid of getting caught or that it was wrong or that he feared for his life, but because it was a sin against his God. He was willing to go to jail for his beliefs. That is something that few men in her culture probably would have done. Do you know how secure that made her feel? She never once worried that her husband looked at other women. It seems that Asnath didn't have a problem when her husband chose to give their sons Hebrew names. Maybe that's because it was no longer just his God, but hers as well. Then that special day arrived. The day her husband's dreams were fulfilled, dreams that had been given over 20 years ago. Can you imagine what it was like for her to see this unfold? No doubt he had shared these dreams with her. After all, it was how his journey to Egypt began. 
What drove his brothers to sell him off were his dreams. He had continued to serve and to be faithful to a God who had not even fulfilled these dreams. But that day finally arrived when the brothers did exactly as Joseph had foretold. What a testament to the faithfulness of God that this it was to this Egyptian woman, Joseph's choice to obey God led the way for others, including his pagan wife, to see God's glory and his power. May we never underestimate the power of our own testimony. May we choose to do right. Two women, one man. One woman sought to tempt him to enjoy pleasure for a season, but saw what happens when you choose to obey God. The other witnessed the end results of a life committed to following after God. The choices we make can have a far-reaching effect, more than we will ever know. What if Joseph would have chosen to give in to Potiphar's wife? Think about what he would have forfeited. Yes, he did suffer much for his choice to obey God, but in the end, God rewarded his faithfulness. Choosing to do right does not mean an easy road. In fact, it may feel like quite the opposite. But there is one thing that cannot be denied, and that is the end. God does not promise us a smooth road here on earth, but he does promise to all who faithfully obey his word and follow his will a well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. May we strive to live each day for him, for his glory, and show the world what it means to follow Christ. We don't know how many will be impacted, and how many will choose to follow Christ as well. And that wraps up our episode for today. I pray that each of you will stay strong in the faith, that you will set aside the time to study God's word, to know him better so that we can walk in his will each day. Our life only counts when it is lived for Christ. If there is anything you would like to pray about, please email me at learningtositstill at gmail.com. Or you can message me through my social media at sitstillmydaughter. I'm on Facebook and Instagram. May you have a wonderful day, a day that is just enough, and one that we can rejoice in because the Lord has made it. Stay strong, my friends, and stay close to your Heavenly Father, the one who loves you with an everlasting love. Thank you.